Good day, everybody. Welcome to House of Readers. I am restarting the silent strength because I realized there were some of the uh, recordings I did in the past. There has been some problems. So rather than editing and re-editing, it's very time consuming. So I am going to reread and this is not a 10 day challenge anymore so i will read at a comfortable speed and i hope you enjoy listening so we are reading this beautiful book silent strength gaining resilience and triumph through life's challenges by my dear friend monica kunzakwakuta so Let's uh, read about, I think I will read about the intros and, you know, about the author and the foreword and the acknowledgements perhaps another time. But let's uh, read, start with the introduction and uh, a bit about chapter one and she's actually bringing great awareness about this course so it's worthy uh, to read a little bit about the author because there is a great conviction about uh, her experience and uh, the uh, child bride uh, and the escape and uh, so much pain that she has seen and she wants uh, to bring the change in Africa and globally, hopefully. So together, all things are possible. Starting with introduction, silent strength. Resilience is the ability to recover from and adapt in the face of stress, adversities or challenges. Life presents us with lots of challenges in our work, homes and schools. Many people carry pain from broken relationships or rejection, often due to physical, emotional and mental abuse from their childhood. Others are victimised and bullied as, work in, uh, bullied as adults in workplaces. Some of these challenges happen to us when we are young and when we carry invisible scars into our adulthood, even though we sometimes appear like we have it all together. We don't realize how the pain remains buried in our subconscious mind. This might show up in various areas of our lives. For example, we might see a grown man or woman second guessing themselves and struggle to make their decisions unless they get approval. They carry negative attributes such as doubt, lack of confidence, and general feeling of being undeserving of love. Despite having all the material things, they struggle to find peace, as there is a constant reminder of being undeserving of love, happiness, and joy. The book will show you how resilience is, how resilience is just like a muscle, which needs developing in order to cope with challenges. When challenges come, your awareness will help you through them without destroying who you are. The muscle will help build your confidence, self-worth 
and your determination to live your life and fulfill your purpose. You will also learn that there is nothing wrong with taking care of yourself and your needs first. Selfishness will cease to be a negative label. This is because you can only serve well when you are physically, emotionally and spiritually healthy. I share my personal journey through life, showing you how I had to make some tough decisions to survive and pursue my dream. There were some tremendous challenges to get to where I am today. I live to share all my stories and I am now helping men and women across the globe develop their attitude and skills to thrive. You will discover that resilience is a prerequisite for surviving the fast-paced and demanding work situation and ever-changing work environment. Resilience is not only needed to cope with life in general, but it is an essential attribute necessary in our professional life as well. With resilience, you can finally break the cycle of rejection and stop self-destructive habits. You will feel the power of realizing and and you, you will feel the power of realizing your self-worth and again the courage to pursue your dreams. This is a powerful system to help you focus on the person who matters the most, you. Decision making will be easier and you will look at problems from a different perspective. Instead of being destroyed by a challenge, it will be by stepping stone to self-discovery, productivity and inward peace. The seed of resilience are planted in the way we process the adversities we encounter in our lives. By This quote is by the author herself, Monica Kun. Zekwaguta. Chapter 1. Escaped from the Kidnapping Zone. I was not being a rebellious child. Growing up in Makoni District, Zimbabwe, envisioning a bright future, my father overlooked the fact that he had already planted a seed to quest for success to be the best and to excel. Whenever I brought home my school report, he looked, it, he looked at it meticulously and we would discuss areas which needed improvement. He usually asked, what is going on with your maths and geography, my girl? I would give the usual excuses, but he always encouraged me to do my best. Our relationship was amazing. Aged seven, I came home with an impressive report, first position. My father was excited. He took an afternoon off and took me into town, Harare city centre. We, we went to Kingston, the, uh, Kingston's fa uh, the famous bookstore. I'll read again. We went to Kingston's, the famous bookstore and he bought me a student's companion and an English dictionary. 
From there, he got me fish and chips from the best chip shop at Rizande bus terminus, which had chips and pies to die for. I was thrilled. I loved these one-to-one -one moments he spent with me, because they were packed with lessons and wisdom nuggets. At that age, I even knew all the functions of an automobile gears because I was always asking questions and he never got annoyed or got impatient. This paid off when one day he stepped out of the car to pick up something and it started to roll downhill. I knew what to do to stop it. Those were special moments. They served to convey a strong message to me that education was important and if I did well, I would be rewarded. Ten years later, I completed O-Level, Grade 10. A serious conflict of interest emerged between the church father between the church father attended and his values. The church did not encourage educating girls beyond primary school. Being able to read and write was enough. I knew that this stage was crucial, but I wanted to believe that I was the lucky one. I completed grade 10 and I was excited to embark on the next leg of my next journey attending the 11th grade. At this point, the conflict of interest between the church and him intensified. This was a real test to someone who gave up his own studies to help raise his siblings after his father passed on. When I came along, some of my uncles were graduates and my auntie was in teacher's training. The pressure from the church to pull me out of school deepened. My father had to decide. Girls were expected to marry young and I was already 16. Men from that church who were in their 40s used to turn up at my boarding school asking me for a date, even though I was only a teenager. I used to pretend they were my relatives. The this was emotionally unbearable and most embarrassing. The fear of being kidnapped was real. As it was a method used for girls who did not cooperate, I was too mortified to tell the school officials or anyone else for that matter. I did not want anyone to know that I was part of that church. These visits started when I was 13 years old and lasted for four years. I did not want other students to know about this as it would have intensified the bullying I experienced at the beginning of each semester. During the holidays, I was forced to shave my hair and boys used to laugh at me and tease me. I became withdrawn and self-conscious. Despite all that, I managed to pass and qualify for grade 11. After over 14 years of age, I was already way past my 
sell-by date for marriage. Just before schools commenced, I was summoned to the village. I was anxious because everyone was getting ready to go back to school. I still needed to find a place. I felt the uneasiness in the air when I arrived. I knew that things weren't going to be bad, but I had no idea how bad. After supper, we all sat in the lounge. I think everybody knew that the dreaded topic was going to be discussed. After an awkward moment of silence, my father cleared his throat and said, Perveta Pakwana. What do you, what you have done so far is enough. You will not proceed with your education. Upon hearing that, my heart sunk. He carried on talking, but I could not hear what he was saying. I could feel my whole world falling apart. I kept staring at the little candlelight, not sure what to do. The room was poorly lit, and looking anywhere else would have compounded the darkness I was facing. I was in disbelief. I had passed my general certification standard, grade 10, and I was excited about going for lower sixth, grade 11, in preparation for university. There were only two weeks left before the start of the semester. The atmosphere in our lounge was sombre. I finally managed to open my mouth. Baba, father, why did we waste all that time discussing my future, my reports and my studies, including going to the university? Why did you even bother to take any interest in my studies at all if you knew it would be all for nothing? I demanded. He responded in a calm voice. You see, this is what they say. These girls will challenge you if you educate them. I replied, Iwa, no, Baba, I am not challenging you. As I responded to that, I found it astonishing how my father was even using this line of argument. After a long discussion, I became aware that my father was not going to budge. I knew that this time things were different. This was not the first time we had had that discussion. But previously, my five uncles had been there to support my cause. I had come to know that these brothers knew how to communicate with each other and had never ever experienced them hitting the deadlock. This time around, however, this time round, however, I was on my own. I got very upset and felt betrayed. I had never spoken to my father in that manner before. It was one of those situations where you think of the danger and trouble you might have put yourself in just as you complete your sentence. Not empowering the girl child was done so that the woman or the women would be subservient to their husbands. But I also knew 
it went against everything my father believed in. I needed to do something and do it fast as my future was now in my hands. I had such a strong vision of where I wanted to be, standing in my graduation gown, and now that vision seemed torn apart. I cried myself to sleep that night. What are my friends going to say if they hear about this? I am going to be left behind. What sort of future am I going to have? As these questions raised through my mind, I was gripped by fear. I felt abandoned, unloved, and I felt a lump sit right in my throat. I could not breathe. In that moment, I hated my life. After crying for what seemed like forever, a little voice said to me, wait a minute, stop crying. You have a solution. I remembered. I always carried some cash with me whenever I went to the church conference or to Honda Valley. This was my bus fare to escape. I stopped crying the moment it dawned on me that I had an option. That night, I decided to run away. In that instance, my mind wandered back to an incident two years earlier. I had attended a conference which was held at a remote camping site of Metjenya, or Mount Jenya, in Manikaland province. During the service, I sat facing one of the prominent leaders I felt uncomfortable as he kept staring at me. His eyes pierced right through me. He was horrible. I felt violated as he was looking at me like a hyena waiting to feast on its prey. The discomfort was tremendous. That I did not hear a word of what the preacher was saying. I kept thinking, bloody paedophile. At the same time, I was aware of the real danger I was facing. Later, six girls were chosen to fetch water for his wives. I was one of them, balancing 20-litre buckets of water on our heads. We walked past the tent where he was relaxing. I think he took another good look at me. A few minutes later... Two men followed me to our tent and told me that their leader, Bambo Abraham, as they called him, had received a prophecy that I must marry him. I knew what this meant, but I was not one to be intimidated. I told them that I was not interested. When I turned him down, I knew that my life was in serious jeopardy. I knew I was going to be abducted as soon as it got dark. I had nowhere to run as the place was in a remote area too, too far away from the city and there was no public transport still operating at that time. I could not fathom the idea of being raped, violated and forced to live with a man old enough to be my grandfather or have my ability to choose taken away from me. 
For a moment, I thought about what I would do if it happened. I decided not to follow myself. Uh, not follow myself. I decided not to allow myself to fall apart as I needed all my faculties in place to survive that precarious night. I hated being at that conference with a passion, but I had to obey my parents. The two men did not like my response whatsoever. And the fact that they had completely failed to convince me they had approached me with so much confidence that they thought it was a done deal. I guess some of the girls in my church community would have liked to be part of the royal family. Those who were pursuing me belonged to a high social strata. Now the leaders, bodyguards, had to go back and explain to their boss how and why they failed to convince a 15-year-old girl. I knew. I knew that at that point the danger level had gone up a notch or two higher. Those guys were going to stop at nothing to get me. My abduction was close and I was in imminent danger. I had no time to waste as my window of survival was very narrow. I knew that I was not safe at all. Their next option was to kidnap me. There was no two ways about it. I had to do something fast. I was desperate. My heart was racing. I needed help, so I approached my friend and her brother-in-law. Both were about my age. The brother-in-law liked me. I used, the op I used that opportunity to my advantage, so I told him, that I wanted us to be friends first. He agreed, so they vowed to protect me. I was operating on adrenaline. Nighttime came. I covered my red dress completely with a long white garment and wrapped my head in a white cloth. I covered my head and face like I was wearing a shadow. A shadow. The way women in the Muslim community dress. Then I picked up my six-month-old half-brother from the floor where he was sleeping and carried him on my back to blend in with other young mothers. Since there were many of those, I thought this could keep me safe. The good thing was that they never approached married women. I then joined my two friends. The three of us spent time together walking and chatting. I walked in the middle the whole time. The night, that night, men came out in droves, walking in pairs, carrying long whips and torches, looking for me. They were determined to find me as they asked everyone if they had seen me. They gave detailed description of the dress I was wearing, and that I wore glasses. I felt like an animal being hunted down. I was petrified. Every time a pair of those men approached us, I took off my glasses and remained silent. My friends did all the talking. 
I was terrified. My mouth was bone dry. Hands were sweaty, and I could hear my heart beat and felt my blood pumping through my veins. I thought to myself, "This must be what they call high blood pressure." I needed to hold it together and stay calm, even though the rest of my body was screaming, "Help!" It was about to give in. I had seen these men beat up women who had lost their children in the crowd, as there were thousands of people at these conferences. Had I been caught, I was going to face many charges that night: disobedience. I had disobeyed the head of our church, stubbornness, for refusing to say yes to marriage and generally challenging the male-dominated power structure. Where everything worked in their favor. Once kidnapped, a girl was not ever allowed to go back home, as they were considered spoiled or damaged goods. Whether the man had touched her or not, that was just it. It did not matter. The fact that she would have disappeared for a few hours a day would have been good enough for her family to insist. That she be returned to where she had disappeared to, practically leaving her with no refuge. I had nowhere to go, and no one to report to, as they would have gladly handed me over to the church leader, which would have sealed my fate. I could not trust any of the adults I was surrounded by. I will end this here and resume again. Thank you for listening.